Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 1, Apocalypse Rising. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Though, again, Twitter is now called X. Whatever. You can call it, you find us in all those places. <laughs> Absolutely. And as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because this show is awesome. And as we go through each and every episode of each and every season, it gets even more awesome. And we just got through with season four. I'm really excited about season five. And season five, the opener doesn't disappoint. So... I just want to jump right into it. I know we normally do like our our normal check-in and stuff like that, but there's so much in this episode that I want to talk about, so we're going to like try to skip that to the end, and then we'll give you that kind of update stuff and talk about what we're going to do in the coming days, weeks, and whatever else and all that stuff. But let's get into this. So, David, do you want to give the recap, or do you want me to do it? I'm thinking this is definitely a you-should-recap kind of episode. <laughs> All right. I love it when I hear that because, yes, I feel like this is just a – like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm really going to keep this uh, summation short. Um, again, if you want to you know, know the full ins and outs as well, you should want to know all the ins and outs. Go watch the episode. It's on Paramount Plus right now. You can watch all of the treks uh, except for Prodigy on um, – paramount plus right now so go watch it and then come back and see if you agree with anything that we said or if there's something that we missed we're gonna try not to miss anything but still uh anyway this episode uh again season five opener it pretty much picks up right where season four left off if you remember in season four odo had just been turned into a human and he was kind of at this crossroads as to what to do with himself okay so in season uh, season five, we see that the war between the Federation and the Klingons has really kind of reached a fever pitch. Uh, that kind of nonchalant, they're a long ways away from here statement that uh, Cisco uttered in season four now seems to have kind of come back to bite them a little bit. The Klingons are massing everywhere. Federation is barely able to hold them off or slow them down. Something just has to be done with these warmongering Klingons. And so the Federation has decided, based upon the intel that Cisco and company provided at the end of season four, that they want to put together a task force to go and expose Changeling Gowron. And the person they've put in charge of this mission is none other than Captain Sisko himself. Because, of course, mm -hmm. why not? You brought us the intel. Don't walk us all the way up to the cliff and then don't have a solution. So, here, <laughs> you know, they gave, he's the one who's going to have to figure it out. Yep. So, tasked with figuring out how to expose the Changeling, again, it's important to note it's expose, not kill, not replace, expose. Mm -hmm. How to expose Gowron, Starfleet gives him these experimental prototype Polaron burst uh, devices, which they believe 
that a changeling, once exposed to polar on radiation, will lose its ability to be a cohesive being, fall apart. Which, with the Klingons and how obsessive they are with blood screenings and so forth, this is probably the only way they're going to be able to expose Gowron. So, Cisco has decided that he and a few elite officers are going to break into this highly defensible or highly defensive area of Klingon space known as Tigacore, where Gowron's going to be, and apparently has fortified himself, to expose him. But in order to do so, they're going to have to go undercover. So they use the in, apparently incredible, yet never talked about skill of Dr. Bashir to alter them from looking like humans, or in Odo's case, human changeling, whatever he is, um, mm-hmm. to look like Klingons. They also lure Gold Ducat to the station under false pretenses to use his hijacked Klingon ship to transport Cisco, Odo, O'Brien, and Worf to Tigacore to expose Gowron. Now, Gowron and a bunch of other elite Klingons are gathering in this area because there is something called the Order of the Batleth. It's a very honorable ceremony in which people who have distinguished themselves in battle are going to get special recognition from their chancellor, who is, of course, Gowron. Gowron's going to be there. Martok's going to be there. A bunch of other Klingons are going to be there. A bunch of Klingon ships. And it's again, there's just a bunch of Klingons everywhere, and sending in these Federation officers seems like the height of folly, but whatever. While they're en route on Gold Ducat's stolen Klingon ship, they practice being a Klingon. They're given lessons by Worf, of course, which, whatever you want to say about Worf, you know, is it good to be taking lessons from a guy who's been labeled a traitor by the Klingons? I, I don't know, you know. Um, I mean, does he know more about Klingon culture than any of the rest of them? Yes. So we've got kind yeah. of a weird situation here on taking these orders, or taking his his cues, I should say. Um, they make it to Tiger Corps. They um, have to go through this endurance ceremony which is basically everybody carousing around drinking, fighting, and whatever else for hours on end until Gowron finally shows up and begins the ceremony. Um, As they're setting up their Polaron uh, devices, uh, Martok Martok appears and he kind of questions O'Brien. He's like, there's something about you very familiar not really sure something along those lines. O'Brien's able to deflect, Martok moves on, but then as they go to set up the devices, Cisco's name is called. So before he can actually activate the devices, Cisco's fake name is called. So he walks up to the podium, he stands in front of Gowron, he actually accepts his medal for the Order of the Batleth, and then as he begins to walk down the from the dais, Martok hits him in the back and exposes him as Captain Benjamin Sisko. They're all rounded up, thrown in jail, and Martok comes in and questions them. He's like, what did you possibly think was going to happen? You could just walk in here and do this and and so forth. Um, They kind of lay out the gist of their plan and their suspicions about Gowron, which then Martok kind of feeds into. He's like, yeah, you know, now that you say it, some of the things that Gowron has been doing lately has just not made any sense. I mean, we've had a lot of losses. We've had a lot of just random whatevers. And he doesn't listen to anybody. So something is off with him, which, again, feeds into everybody's suspicion that Gowron is a changeling. Martok agrees to actually help them out. He's going to spring them from jail and allow them to go and confront Gowron. Their Polaron devices have been destroyed. So the only way that they can really expose Gowron at this point 
is to kill him. Because again, right. a changeling once killed will revert to their gelatinous state. Right. So they do. They spring the trap. Uh, Martok murders a bunch of other Klingons around, just like because yep. he seems to really enjoy it. Yep. Let's him loose. They go out into the uh, gathering hall. Worf immediately attacks Galron and starts doing this weird dagger versus Batleth fight. Um, Galron makes his guard stand down and he takes on Worf's challenge uh, directly, which like sends a, it's like a true Klingon warrior. Exactly, like a true Klingon would. <laughs> Which alerts Odo that something's off here because his people don't really care about honor and glory and whatever else. They should have just shot him as far as they right. was concerned or let his guards finish him off or anything like that. So now Odo, who has been um, basically detained by Martok, Martok doesn't want him in there, basically accusing him of being a traitor, holds him back. And uh, he starts kind of needling Martok a little bit until it's finally revealed that it's actually Martok who destroyed the Polaron devices and Martok well, is the changeling. They right. tussle. He exposes Martok. Cisco starts shooting at Martok, which makes the other Klingons start shooting at Martok, which causes him to revert to his gelatinous state and he dies. Now Odo is responsible for the death of two changelings. Yep. Um, Galron and the rest of them kind of de-escalate the situation. They agree that at least they should be talking because that's what the Dominion was trying to destabilize in the first place. If the plan had succeeded, then Galron would have been murdered, Martok would have been installed as Chancellor, and then that would have been changeling Martok in control of the Klingon fleet and military and everything else, and they could have really gone on the warpath against the Federation. Um, so now that they're back into tentative peace talks, this gives them a reason to kind of you know, de-escalate things. Our Starfleet officers go back to the station where they are reverted back to their human or, again, in Odo's case, whatever he is, self. Yes. And that's essentially the episode. All right? Right. Um, again, lots to unpack here. We are going to do it, but I was trying to give you as just the salient points in 10 minutes yes. or less. So there you go. Yes. Boom. All right. So... With that being said, um, clearly I'm like really excited about this episode, but I always <laughs> like to ask, since David has not seen any of this before, what did you think of this episode watching it? This is a great episode. I yes, mean, it is. This has just about everything you can ask for. I only have one small minor complaint, and that's just that Dax, once again, seems to get shortchanged, but I can talk <laughs> about that later. I'll explain what I mean later. But it has everything. You got Klingons. You got our favorite characters dressing up as Klingons. You got the Klingon culture fighting. But you have a great plot. You have twisting, you know, conspiracy theories back and forth. I was actually trying to poke holes in the in the theory of like how the story happens. Like I was thinking, oh wait, that doesn't make sense. And then I thought about it more. Like, no, it actually does make sense. Yeah, like, I think I know actually... what you're going to be talking about there. But there's because there are a couple of things like even in my you know because I did rewatch this episode. Um, yeah. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. With again, I had the same thought where of wait a second. It actually does make sense if you remember exactly. certain things. So we're going to yes. talk about that. Um, right. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I'm glad that you picked up on that. But again, the, I'm you got Gold Ducat showing back up uh, for a quick cameo, basically reminding us that he has a Klingon warship. He's the way that they get to the Klingon uh, world here. Um, yeah, I, I, I was when Gold Ducat is talking with Kira, and he's like, "What's your plan for infiltrating the Klingons?" 
and then they walk into the room where they have been, you know, it's it's uh, Cisco, Odo, and O'Brien who have been changed to look like Klingons. It looks immaculate, especially they Odo. Look, they look great. I have to admit, they yes. do look great. And Cisco makes a pretty terrifying Klingon. Yes, yeah. I, I know and they it, worked on all of them, but the big reveal of Cisco at the end is a Klingon. I think they yes. did that on purpose in that oh, yeah. scene because he does like it. Just it works. It fits. Yes. I think it was like surprising how well it worked for him. Well, it's so funny because at the end of the episode, he's like, "Oh man, I missed the fangs." Oh, you know, Odo's like, "I don't. I'm not going to miss the fangs." And Cisco's like, "I am." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you were rocking the fangs, mm. bro. <laughs> But there's a lot uh, about that you're gonna miss. Like you said, I, he said I could do without the forehead ridges, but the fangs. I'm like, yeah, there's. Yes. I feel like there's more to it. Because if anything, he even seemed like, like Cisco was already a tall person, but I swear he seemed taller when he yeah. was wearing all the yeah. the get up and got stuff. The ridges and then his yeah. hair even popped up like an extra inch. Uh, yeah, they look great. Again, the plot is great. You got your twists and turns. Your um, oh, we think that um, Galron's the changeling. Oh, it actually turns out it's not Galron. I actually suspected that. Again, I'm, I'm such a jaded watcher of storytelling that I figured maybe one of the twists would be it's actually not Galron. And I actually like that because I like Galron as a character. And mm. I would hate for Galron the character to be subverted by turning out to just be a changeling. I like the right. fact that, yeah, no, he's been in control the whole time. This is exactly what he is. This is him and his Klingon empire – uh, turning against the Federation because they are unleashing their Klingonness, and it was not him that was acting out of out of character. It was his general that was doing so. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if we want to get into all the the details of the story just yet, other than to say that I really liked the episode. Great follow up to last one. Um, great follow up to the beginning of last season because this is what, you know we haven't seen Galron basically since. Well, I guess we had the cameo of him on the screen from the last episode. Him saying we're gonna go conquer the Archeron territory or whatever that's that territory. Arcanus. Arcanus. There we go. Uh, but he hasn't shown up in person until this episode. And his last scene, when he's talking with Cisco, he says to, um, to, to Worf, you know, next time you see me, you'll, yeah. He's I'm like, you should have killed kill me, me when you had the chance. That's I'll make sure you don't get another. It's yeah, like, it's I great, love the veiled time. threat. It's like, you can't yes. let a moment go, can you? Yeah. Galron yeah. was an absolute menace this entire episode, but it was yes. spot on. It was perfect. Yes. I loved it. He yeah. absolutely was a menace the whole time. Yes. And I love the fact that, like, for example, Odo starts to realize the problems when Galron commits to the fight, the one-on-one -on -one fight. That's a Klingon thing. Hey, wait a minute. Why isn't he just shooting everybody? That's what I would expect him to do if he was a changeling trying to protect himself. Oh, it's perfect. The storyline really – if you know the, the Klingons as a, as a group, if you know the changelings as a group, you you this story makes sense. Um, and that's why it's so great because, again, I was trying to poke holes in the theory. Like, for example, if, if um, Martok is the changeling, then – like how does like basically I was thinking like wait a minute did he know about the plan beforehand? No, he didn't. Why did he stop them if he was trying to get them to kill, um, kill uh, Galron? Well, no, they didn't, weren't trying to kill Galron. They're trying to expose him, so he had to stop the exposure because it would actually would have exposed him. Mm -hmm. It just it all makes sense once you think about it. This plot is actually airtight as far as I can think. Yeah, uh, which is great. I again, I love poking at stories to find out what I would do differently. How would I change things? 
and then to find a story that's like, no, I can't think of any issues with it. This is exactly right. Uh, that's that's amazing. I love that. So now before we get into some of those areas where you would have initially been like, oh, that's wrong, but ultimately why it proves to be right, I do want to uh, say a couple things. Uh, first, I love that this is how they started season five. I mean, they jump right in. There's no lead up. Yep. There's no kind of slow meandering getting us to what could potentially be the story of the season, you know, or right. the, the gradual changes in the characters and so forth. That's what we uh, associate a lot with Trek, mainly because of the way that it was um, heavily episodic, especially with like Next Generation and Voyager right. kind of returns to that. Voyager is weird in the sense that it, it kind of flips back and forth between whether or not they're trying to do an episodic show or a serialized show. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's moments where they make references to things that happened in earlier seasons, but then they like totally forget about it later on. So, right. um, so I like that they, you know, stuck with it here because it's, it's one of those things that like so many people complain about, especially with like newer Trek, how everything has gone into serialization. They miss the, never-ending stream of bottle episodes basically no two episodes really needing to relate to each other and so forth and a lot of new trek is is that way it's a lot of serialization like discovery was that way strange new worlds is again kind of doing this we're trying to straddle a line you know where they'll do a series of unrelated episodes but then they'll pick one and then there'll be something about that one that relates to a story later on so they kind of are trying to have their cake and eat it too there it's weird that they're doing so well with that yeah. i will give them credit for that it's weird they're doing so well with it but um again that's been the major complaint with newer trek is that if they some people seem to want it to go back to the episodic nature of it but truly like our, the the better characters are the ones that are planned out and that we see the growth and development of and that really can only come through serialization and that's why to me deep space nine is such a great show we really get to track the growth of these characters cisco the opener of cisco here in season five is vastly different from the cisco that we saw in season one and you just you can't deny that i mean beyond the look the aesthetic the way he encounters people and talks to people, you know, I, I thought about it. You know, something that we said early on in season one, even in doing our show, was how Cisco was like kind of a an observer. He stood back. He, you know, let people do things around him. And then he would softly interject. There was always that kind of veiled threat a bit, you, you know, to what right. he was doing here. There's none of that. He is he is the man. He is in control. He is very direct. He you know he doesn't have time for any kind of nonsense. And we see that he even here, when he comes into the bar looking for Odo, Quark is trying to talk and do whatever, and he's just very dismissive. Don't have time. Where is he? So forth and so on. Um, so I, I definitely like that. Uh, and then again, before we switch to the other stuff, I just have to talk about them altering themselves to look like Klingons. We've seen this in Trek before, and I have to admit, it's always disturbed me. The level yeah, that they does. can just yeah. make you look like a whole other species. Yeah. 
Turns out changelings aren't very unique. <laughs> the Federation has that technology already. <laughs> right. You know, like I mean I mean that's supposed to be the thing about about Oda. I mean it's, it's the it's the way that he can do it, of course, and he right. can and it's instant versus we're led to assume here with Bashir doing this. This is several hours of refining a technique and and so forth. And he's not just doing a prosthesis. This is genetic manipulation to make them look like Klingons. You know, right. that's what this is. He's stimulating hair growth. He's changing the cranial shape. He's making their teeth grow. He's doing all of these very seemingly permanent things to them. Yes. Horrifying. Yes. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah, the best analogy I can think of is like the whole turning into a werewolf at midnight. Yeah. Yes. Like how do you ungrow hair or ungrow claws? You know, how do you ungrow a giant muzzle and fangs? Um yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. It's it's bizarre, but man, it really worked this time. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, but and like I said, it's one of those things that shows up in Trek, and I don't know why we give it such a collective pass, but if you think about it, what they're doing is physical and genetic manipulation. Humans don't naturally have fangs and cranial ridges, and you can't just alter the the bone structure and make it work you need extra bone for that there's a, a certain density for that and then you have right. to make sure that it's going to work for the person you can't just alter these things and then be like okay you're done and walk right. out they could have all kinds of internal issues so there's a, a right. delicate genetic balancing act that we don't really see here and that uh, you know interesting enough they touch on in strange new worlds in a couple of episodes with genetic mo modification but right. yeah, I mean that's what they're doing. They're they're physiologically changing this person um, to meet a certain criteria. And I mean, what if what if Bashir dies before they can right. get back to their original bodies, or the right. next surgeon that comes along isn't as good and can't reverse the process? They got to walk right. around with you know fangs and long hair for forever now because they did this for a mission. Like it's it's a lot. <laughs> the the implications yeah. behind it are, are heady, man. Yeah, they insinuate that very thing. You're right. You know, like if Doctor Bashir can't get him back, what's the what are they gonna do? Um, that so I while we're talking about this, I want to mention the thing that I thought was gonna be a plot hole until they addressed it. Literally, as the last scene of the episode. Last okay. episode in our previous episode. Uh, Odo came back from being uh, the, from the Changeling's Great Link, and they made him a solid, but they left him with his face because they wanted him to have a, a reminder of who he actually is and uh, what he's lost. And so at the very start of Season 5, we have facial reconstruction surgery being brought back as a, as a plot point, and I was like, oh, turns out Odo's you know, punishment isn't going to be that big of a problem. They can just give him a normal human face easy as pie and so at the end of the episode when they go to take off the the klingon uh changes uh they say do you want bashir basically says i can do anything i i want to give you whatever face you want he says no give me my normal face so i'm glad they addressed that mm -hmm. because the whole episode it was in the back of my head i was like hmm how are they gonna fix that and then are they just gonna skip past it but they didn't they addressed it odo chooses to keep it uh, i'm glad they didn't try and you know pretend like it wasn't an issue they gave us a character based reason for why he still looks like the way he does so yeah that was great 
Oh yeah, I have to admit, like I, I thought the same thing because I mean, we just we just watched in season, you know, for the end, and them talking about the importance of why he has his face and so forth, and then for them to drastically alter it right away, you know, um, and it was like no fuss, no muss, and then even Bashir's like, yeah, I can give you any any face you want. I mean, there's a huge asterisk beside that, you know, provided you're willing to sit through the hours it's going to take to genetically <laughs> modify you to look like whatever the hell it is that we're going to turn you into, you know. Right. But yeah, he's just like, yeah, we can do that whenever, like, almost like, you know, eh, you know, I'm, I'm free next Saturday. Come by. We'll turn you into a trill. Let's <laughs> yeah. see how it works, you know. Who likes, who likes leopard print down their sides? I hey, you know what? <laughs> you know, Dax and that leopard print has inspired many a fantasy, so we're just going to, you know, leave it there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Okay, so those two, I mean, I just I wanted to make sure we definitely talked about that. Now, let's talk some of those points that I'm sure were on your mind as to what you thought was going to be a plot hole, but then turned out to be all right. What's your yeah. What's your first one? What do you got? Well, for me, I'm just going to summarize it as all of the, like, the, the, the original plot is they're going to put these four round devices, these spears, uh, are in different parts of the room, turn it on, it's going to show that Galron's a changeling, and boom. And then it turns out that Marduk uh, attacks Sisko, and then he says that it's Galron that destroyed the devices, but we actually learned no, it was him that destroyed the devices. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I'm getting at is if... Um, I was thinking, well, if, if they were trying to undermine Galron, if they were trying to do something with Galron, then why does Mar uh does um Martok Martok get involved? Why doesn't he just like basically escape or or get away or get involved? But no, it turns out the reason he does is because he would be revealed to be the the changeling. He needs to get rid of the devices as soon as possible. I thought, well, maybe like, how does he know what to look for? How what to what to be afraid of? Well, he's a changeling. They they keep in contact with each other well enough that they could have warned him about the plot. Um, anyway, what I'm getting at is that all of the stuff around Galron and Martok, I was a little, I was trying to make sure I was following all the plot points, and there were moments where I thought, wait, that doesn't make sense. But then I thought about it more. I was like, no, that does make sense. Um, for example. Martok is just killing Klingons, as you pointed out, as they're escaping. Oh it's man, like, he's just yeah. killing them left and like no no care concern whatsoever. He turns and fires his uh, disruptor at a couple. He walks down the hall and double dual wields and stabs two. And I mean, I was awesome. like, dude, I was like, you just yeah. like they had a family. That was my first thought yeah. when I was like, that, he might have a son or a yeah. daughter he's trying to raise well, over there. And- and two seconds ago, he was just complaining that Galron's apparently wasting all of their, you know, men. They're losing people left and right. And then here you are just willy-nilly stabbing people. Uh, doesn't seem absolutely necessary. I mean, you know, put turn the phaser to stun. I mean, all Klingons even do stun, but you get the point. Yeah, um, I get the distinct impression there's not a stun setting on the Klingon <laughs> disruptor. Doesn't right, seem like exactly. something they would really uh, bother with. Right. You know. But um, I just liked that the... The plot made sense. Yes, it turns out that uh, Martok, uh, he was probably he probably realized who O'Brien was when he went up to O'Brien. Like he was not. Right. He was not. He wasn't. Oh, who's that? No, he knew exactly who he was. Um, he waited till Cisco was called up, 
and maybe even figured out who Cisco was in the list of names. Like he already knew who was supposed to be on there and whose name doesn't match. And so that way he can reveal Cisco is actually the one. So um, I have a theory about that, that he didn't know who Cisco or O'Brien were, but he was familiar with it because it also relates to something else that I thought was interesting in this, right. because and I'm sure a lot of people were screaming it the whole time anyway, was if you notice when we go back to the whole altering their appearance, who doesn't get any alterations? Who really Worf. should have? Worf. Yeah, Worf, should Worf have absolutely. Yeah. He ha he is very familiar with Galron. He's known Galron for years. Right. If anybody is going to be in a room with Galron and needs their identity hidden, it's Worf. He's right. had the most to deal with that man. He should have been altered, but he wasn't. Right. Um. Then. When you think about everything else that happens, who are the two people that are confronted by Martok? O'Brien and Cisco. Why would it be O'Brien and Cisco? Well, for one, we know that Cisco was heading up the task force with Admiral Layton back when the changelings tried to infiltrate Earth. We know right. that Admiral Layton was a changeling who also uh, encountered Cisco and Odo. Right. We also know that during that episode, who was the officer that was impersonated by the changeling? O'Brien. O'Brien. Ah. So these two are the two that it seems like the changelings, for whatever reason, they're the most familiar with. So when it comes to, you know, now here we are all these months later and we're doing this this mission, it would make sense that the two that they recognize are Cisco and O'Brien. They've right. never really encountered Worf. We haven't had any dealings with changelings directly and Worf as of right. yet. So right. they may be familiar with who's on the station, right? They might know who yeah. the officers are, but to know them to the, to the degree and detail that I they know, know O'Brien, right. I know that And that's face, what he kept yeah. saying. And it's like, why would that face seem so familiar to you? Because there was the changing who got away. We never saw that changing on Earth ever again. Right. There was a changing who got away, who we know impersonated O'Brien, who we know had dealings with Cisco. They talked, you know? Right. So that's why those two stood out. Um. So yeah, and to me avoiding Odo by that, mar you know, he we don't want he doesn't want to interact with Odo as much as he can probably because right. he's probably the most likely to recognize an issue as we found out. And, and yeah. who are Worf and who is Worf with that we see during the the ceremony the the uh, the endurance ceremony before the Order of the Batlet stuff starts? He's with Odo when Odo drops his Polaron emitter. Worf right. is the one who comes to Odo's defense, which means he was probably keeping a closer eye on Odo than he was anybody else. Right. So if Martok is watching the group as well, he sees he probably did recognize Odo, but right. he didn't recognize the other Klingon that was around him. So it was probably a good idea to steer clear of that group for now while he was right. focused on his other two that he just couldn't quite place until he did. So that's right. to me was like why this works because the whole time I'm like how does he not recognize Worf and then it's like oh he didn't recognize Worf because that's not really Martok. Martok and Worf did meet but right. that's not really Martok so that's why he didn't jump right. out at Worf and it also explains why Worf doesn't need the makeup. The person right. who confronts them is the only person who should have recognized him but didn't Galron never steps up. The only person he, that Galron actually gets to see up close is Cisco, who's immediately right. knocked down by Martok. So it right. worked. Again, right. I kept screaming, oh, that's a plot hole. He should recognize Worf. Worf should have been on alert. And, and if anything, that's the failing, is that when they're all in jail, 
and Gowron or Martok is outside of the cell and he's yelling at Cisco and so forth. The fact that he never really talks to Worf and gets into any of it with Worf is a little bit of a tell. But as we saw in that right. same scene, Odo was already kind of suspicious. So that right. kind of took care of itself there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. The scene where he walks in for the first time, Martok, and he sees the four of them and he looks at them closely and they go, kapla, kapla, kapla. Uh, that makes sense. Like he's recognizing, ah, oh, these are the, these are, you know, this is Cisco. This is O'Brien. Mm-hmm. This is the group that's come to reveal me. I need to watch what they're doing. That's when, so when Cisco comes up on stage, he already has a reason to suspect him. And in that moment, takes the, the chance to try and mm-hmm. undo whatever might be happening, k- destroys the devices, etc. Um, yeah, and it's, and and it's I, clear I just, he knew that they were probably there to expose the changeling, but without yes. knowing how they were going to expose him, that also explains why Martok right. decided to confront them, because right. he didn't know what they were going to be doing, and it could have... And it could have endangered him. It could have exposed him inadvertently. So, yeah, right. by by making them basically rework their plan and making them a part of his own plan, he right. minimizes his risk. He just didn't count on Odo noticing the language that he was using and picking right. up on those cues that they would only share because they're a part of the same culture. Right. And that's also why he doesn't immediately, like when he sees the four of them, they do the Kapla greeting, he doesn't immediately arrest them because he's like, I don't know what their plan is. I need to wait mm-hmm. long enough for them to expose themselves. Or, you know, Cisco is isolated up on stage. He's in front of everyone. He can attack him and just, and, you know, say something about him publicly without um, making a big scene. Otherwise, he's making a scene, but everyone's already focused on the moment. That's what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's well, it's, it's great, you know, like, the whole idea the whole time is we gotta get Galron, we gotta get Galron, we gotta get Galron, and everything great about a good twist is um, you were all all of the all of the things were planted throughout the episode, and then the and then the plot is revealed. You know the the, the conspiracy is revealed, the twist is revealed, and it turns out they had been leading the breadcrumbs all along. And so this is exactly why it's a great episode because they did do that. As we go back to the episode and talk about it, especially now, yeah. Everything was planted perfectly for this episode to make sense about why things happened the way they did. Um, yeah, the fact that it's not Galron, again, I already said it, I'm liking that's the fact. Mm-hmm. Galron's a great character. They would have been subverting his character if they had just turned him to a changeling. Uh, but remind me, how do we really – I know we've met Martok before. Yes. But for the moment, we, I can't really remember what else we've seen him what, – what's we, our relationship with him again? So, so the character of Martok we actually get to see for the very first time in the same episode that we got to see War for the first time, which is all the way back at the beginning of Season 4, Way of the Warrior. Right. What happens right. in that episode is the Klingons have shown up uh, in force. There's a bunch of them. There's ships around the station and so forth. And Martok is in charge of that contingent that has shown up at Deep Space Nine. Now, we don't directly get any involvement with him until after Worf beats up his son, Drex. Drex is acting a fool um, in the bar. He ends up attacking Garrick. Worf comes onto the station. He flips him a couple of times and steals his uh, duck talk, his dagger, you know, and then Gowron, or not Gowron, but Martok comes to Worf's quarters to deliver the best character opening line I've ever heard in my life. He walks into Worf's quarters and he says, I've come for my son's Doc Doc. Give it to me or I'll take it from you. <laughs> I was just like, I love That's it. Right. I, I absolutely yeah. love it. 
Now, and then so, Morph has a great rejoinder to that. What does he say to that? He says, now that you're here, I no longer need it. And he gives it to him. <laughs> and then they start talking. And that's their that's their first introduction to each other. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, great bummer, scene. his character's gone now because he was a great character. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great scene. I love the character of Martok and the actor who plays uh, Martok, J.G. Hertzler. I've actually had the privilege of meeting and speaking with him on a couple of different occasions. Great guy. A lot nice. of fun. If you ever do get the chance, I don't know if he's still doing conventions and stuff now. And even if he was still doing them with the SAG after strike that's going on, they're not really participating in them anyway. But if that ever changes and you do get the opportunity to talk with him and meet with him and everything else, do it. Guy's a lot of fun. Okay. Um, but that actor has also been in um, uh, Trek before. And he actually played the Vulcan captain of the Saratoga in the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine. He is the captain of the Saratoga that where Cisco is the first officer that he serves under, and that captain dies. That Vulcan ah, captain dies. So we don't see him. We, I don't think he ever gets a name, but he's the Vulcan captain in that one. And I'm looking at it right now, and they say his name is... Oh, no, they don't have a name for him. He's just Vulcan captain. Yeah. But his, his name, he was got his full name, not... JG, but John Noah Hertzler. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Um, but he also pops up in a couple of other Trek things. He's in uh, he's an episode of Enterprise. He plays a Klingon uh, judge or uh, Klingon lawyer in that episode. He also pops up in an episode of Voyager as a Herogen, uh martial arts trainer who trained Seven of Nine to fight the Rock. It's a weird episode of Trek to say the least. The Rock is on it. Um, he's another <laughs> alien who beats up on 709 for a little bit, but yeah, um, okay. entertaining, but yeah, it's there. So he's got a nice, uh, background with, uh, Trek as well. Um, but I think that you can, you can, if you were to ask him, I think he'd be very upfront with that. Martok is probably his favorite character that he Yeah, plays. that scar across his face. Yeah. Uh, is, is, uh, classic Klingon. Yeah. He, he even he even returned to voice the character in uh, a lower decks episode as well <laughs> as Martok. Really? So yeah, so I'm curious uh, how he could come back on a show that's I guess it's supposed to be in the future. It's not but. actually lower decks is set after the end of Deep Space Nine actually. Well, so at, least at the end of episode. at the end of Voyager slash Deep Space Nine and whatever. Well, my point, though, is is that if the character, as far as we know, is dead by the changeling killing him to take uh, place. We but... don't know that he's dead. We just okay. know that a changeling, right. changeling took, took his, his place. place. Okay. All right. It's you not been 100% like every changeling kills their person they're Yes. That has not been established yet that they kill them. They just impersonate right. them. Well, no, we know they don't because we know that, for example, back on the on Earth, Admiral, what's his face? Admiral uh, Layton was impersonated and so he, he was, was still there. Exactly, but we know the ad or the ambassador. I think at the end of season three is supposed to have been killed, or at the very least, he's gone missing. Yes, the one um, who wanted them to go to the Zenkethi border. As far as we know, that ad, that ambassador is dead. Right. Yeah. So it, it's, they they'll choose whatever they need to do to get things done. It sounds like. They're yeah, that's what I'm kind of picking up on. It seems like there's a, it's a, more about like a convenience, ease of access type scenario. Whichever right. one works out the best, they go for. You know exactly. Um, exactly. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know that he's dead. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna go any further with that. I guess well, that's a mild, I mean, mild spoiler. Yeah, I told yeah. you a little too much. So, oh um, 
Before we leave uh, everything on the Klingon front and shift back to our Starfleet officers on the station, because there are some things to talk about with them, um, I want to say, did you notice when they were doing the Order of the Batleth, there are a couple of things. Um, did you notice where they were? Did anything about where they were stand out to you? No. David is shaking his head no, so I'm going to have to fill him in, of course. They are (laughs) in the Hall of Heroes, which we had heard mentioned a few times by the infamous Kang, Kor, and Koloth when they were telling us all about, you know, the hunt for the albino and where they will be when they die after they've completed this mission. They would be in the Hall of Heroes. And if you notice, little little Easter egg for you, in the background of the Hall of Heroes, there are these giant statues of Klingons. And the two that they show are Kor and Koloth. So there are giant statues of them. Yes, the two that died. There are two statues of them, and they're in the episode. So if you're... Oh, man, I need to go back and look more Yeah, (laughs) you want to go back and take take a closer look at those scenes. It's very brief, but they're there. And they're right, right next to each other. So it's like, it takes you a second to realize that's what they're showing you. But then, because like the first part, um, you see like somebody's like hanging on one of this. Uh, like you see them like mm. on the arm or something like that. And then when they right. pan out and do a wide shot, it's these two giant statues. And there's Kang and there's Koloth. And they're right there. So right. there you go. A little Easter egg for you to look for. Um, but the Order of the Batleth. What an interesting uh, order ceremony i mean <laughs> do we do you think that we have anything that's a, of, of an equivalent i mean so it's obviously it's associated with the military you already have to be in the klingon military right to get this distinction you have to have proven yourself in battle countless times to receive this honor so would this be we say this is like their equivalent of like the Medal of Honor, perhaps? I was going to suggest that as you were talking about it, but this Medal of Honor is supposed to be like you've been wound. No, that's the Purple Heart. Uh, yeah, maybe the Medal of Honor. I mean, I, I the Klingons definitely give it a more, you're a battle-ready, battle-hardened, you're yeah, ready you, to go. Yeah, you have to have like gone through some extreme stuff to be on the list. You can't right. just be, you know, because I mean, it's, it's almost an assumption that all Klingons do military service at some point. So you right. can't just be a regular soldier. You have to be right. like, like you said, battle-hardened, battle-tested. You've come through right. some terrible things. And not just come through them, but you you were like the hero. You were the star. Right. You you got special recognition right. behind it. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Klingons are more about, did you take a risk to accomplish a, a military objective? Where I feel like the Medal of Honor is more of a did you risk your life to protect like a fellow soldier or a civilian? I mean, to get, to get an objective accomplished for sure, but like really like put your own, you made yourself vulnerable in a way uh, mm-hmm. that was very self-sacrificing where, I mean, Klingons don't, in my opinion, don't really seem to have the more self-sacrificing nature of battle. It's literally, you know, kind of you throw yourself out there in order to obtain objectives but that's more for personal glory than to save the guy next to you. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I guess, the most equivalent we would, we would have. Uh, again, it's a great example, though, as just describing it, of why Klingons are a great culture for Star Trek to give us and have them compare to our own culture. Because it's like, oh yeah, they're totally doing it a different way, but yeah. this is a similar ceremony. Yeah, they yeah. get a, a 
something to wear on their chest. A nice, and it looked like a pretty, pretty prominent sized, you know, yeah. pendant. You know, Gowron's got to push it on you, and he's using both hands. You know, and Klingons don't do anything light. So yeah. I'm, I'm imagining this thing is probably pretty heavy, nice solid piece of, right. you know, gotta metal. Push it into that yeah, leather. yeah, yeah. It goes on nicely too. Yeah. Um, and then it, yeah. you got the yeah. you got the ceremony itself, which, like as Worf says, it's a uh, endurance ceremony. It's about staying awake and drinking, and they're drinking copious amounts of blood wine. Which, yes. <laughs> for all the stories that we've heard about blood wine, I have to admit this is probably the weakest representation of blood wine I've ever seen. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was water with a few drops of food coloring in it. Those yep. scenes where we see them scooping it out, and it comes out this kind of pale pink liquid i mean i swear yeah. i feel like it was more red from the lighting than it was from the actual yeah. contents in the in the barrels yeah. yeah and they're drinking out of those old school like silvery pewtery looking measuring yeah. cups you yeah. know my grandfather had one of those in his restaurant i remember looking at it when i was a kid you know so it's like <laughs> that's what y'all are drinking out of that's what klingons yeah. are taking down this wine in yeah the the blood part of the blood wine was definitely a bit missing in this episode yeah. for sure. And but the comments to... that yeah. Brian have is hilarious. Apparently it tastes of... awful. Yeah. Um but it will make you so drunk that uh after a few cups you'd be yeah. out as a human. Yeah. yeah. Worf is like if you guys hadn't taken those anti uh anti toxicants, yeah. Y'all would be under the, on the floor right now. Um, but the, the, also, the, the blood wine scene ties into Odo's storyline in this episode because we first meet him in Quark's enjoying a beer. Yes, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. He's, he's intoxicated the not bubbles. just by the beer itself, but by the sound of the bubbles hitting the yeah. glass. Yeah, he's, he says, you know, I never understood eating or drinking before, but now that I'm a solid, it's a, it's a great con- consolation. What does he say? Uh, delight. Um, it's one of the few things that uh, we solids humanoids have any kind of control over. Right. Um, and then Cisco has a great line. He's like, there's always the temptation to eat too much, to yes. drink too much. So, yes. you know, great little bit there. Um, I do want to say, again, that blood wine was a terrible representation. And uh, <laughs> if you are interested at all, there is a site you can go to that actually sells uh the human version of Klingon blood wine. It's called Star Trek Spirits. Just go to StarTrekSpirits.com. You can order it. I have not ordered that one as of yet, so I don't know if the consistency or whatever works. Um, as far as I understand it from the other representations that we've ever seen of Klingon blood wine, it's supposed to be a rather strong-tasting, very dark, blood-like colored, and slightly thick kind of syrupy consistency to make you think you're drinking like a thinned out blood, right? That's what it's supposed to be. So I don't know how close they get to that on the Star Trek Spirits one. I do understand that it is um, a rather dark colored uh, wine that they use for it. So whether or not they're mixing that up and doing it justice, that's on you. I did get the Canar from this site. Um, right. And while the Canar had an interesting taste, I will also agree that it didn't um, live up to expectation when it comes to its consistency either. The representations that we've seen of Canar on D Space Nine so far, again, makes you think it's a rather, uh, it's a very thick liquid. And uh, right. that's not what I got. It had a good taste, don't get me wrong, but it was not that. Um, but. <laughs> 
that leads me um, to the, uh, of course, something that I've featured on this show a couple of times now, the uh, what they call the official Star Trek cookbook, which I did purchase um, a while back. And it does, of course, have its own Klingon blood wine uh, recipe in here. And I've looked through the ingredients. I've not made it yet, uh, but I've looked through these ingredients. And um, I feel like this will get you there. Um it probably won't be as thick unless you like change certain aspects of it. Like uh, one of the ingredients calls for beet juice. So like if you make your own beet juice at home, I'm sure there's a way you can add like a little bit of a, a thickening agent to that. So it doesn't change the flavor, just change the consistency. Then follow the rest of the recipe and you're going to get something that would be a bit more akin to what they're going for. But um, I will tell you the other ingredients here are not, uh, not for the faint of heart. You've got <laughs> cinnamon whiskey, spiced rum. You've got prune juice. There's some wine. There's pomegranate juice. There's all these things in here, and then there's a certain way you got to make it. So it's going to come out pretty heady. Um, I'm actually looking forward to doing this. I think I might do this for Christmas. So, um, you know, we'll see how my family takes to drinking Klingon blood wine for Christmas. <laughs> But if you're interested uh, at all, you can check that out in this book. And uh, there's many other recipes online you can find. But this is the only one that I was like, as since it's supposed to be the official cookbook of Trek, this is what I'm going to at least try. So Right. So, all yeah. right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's turn our attention to those few crew members left on the station who didn't get to come with us. Yes. Um, I know that you had mentioned her earlier, so I'm going to let you start. Dax. Uh, I just feel so sorry for Dax. I feel, I mean, this is season five, and I feel like they long ago relegated poor Dax to side character who's there to look pretty and sometimes say something to Cisco. Um, I mean, there's sometimes she gets an episode and she's interesting, but I mean, literally, she starts off with Cisco coming back from the trip to see the Federation. Mm hmm. But, you know, it doesn't really affect anything. And then, we're, like, the next scene, Cisco's calling everyone together so they can work their plan together. And when they pull, when they talk about the, the you know, these... The spheres, polar emitters. Yeah, the, they're, they're going to use. Dax stands up and goes over to the screen to talk about them. And it's not her that gives the line that explains what they do. It's Cisco. His own science officer isn't given the chance to actually explain the science tech. He does it. And I was at that point, I was just like, man, this is season five, episode one, and already yeah. Dax can't even have her own lines. Like, what the heck is going on? I, I have to admit, you know, um, I, I love the character of Dax. I always have. But in sure. going yeah. back and rewatching this show with you, I there are so many times where now I have to realize that where did my love come from for that character? Because she does so little, and I mean, when when she has when she has her moments, though, she's great. I think that yeah. Terry Farrell does a great job with what she's given. Yes. Um, that albino episode was was a great episode, but it was like, was it great for Dax or was it great for Kane, Kor, and Koloth? Because I mean, yeah. an argument could be made that it was great for them and less for yeah. her. You right. know, um, and then of course we had the rejoined episode, which is very much a Dax heavy episode. But I mean, that's kind of the first time that we've really gotten to see her do anything in a while. You right. know, 
Um, yeah, Dax does take a bit of a back seat on a lot of things. And even this episode with her going with Cisco to Starfleet, coming back and them hatching, you know, hatching their plan and everything else. Why didn't she go with him? Why didn't she get altered? Why did it have to be Odo and O'Brien? Why couldn't O'Brien say O'Brien didn't do anything in this episode that Dax couldn't have done? There's literally there's nothing. I hadn't yet made a connection yet, but you're you're right because she, along with Warp, is the only one that already understands Klingon culture. She right. would have fit in. She would have like, fit in perfectly. Scene, yes, that scene and you where Odo and yeah. O'Brien are like, "Oh man, I don't know if I could do this. Pretend to be a Klingon." I mean, she would have been on top of it. I mean, it was great comedy to have O'Brien and Odo learn how to be a Klingon, but yeah, it should have been Dax. Dax should have been the one to go, and you can't even say that, oh, well, the Order of the Batleth is for men only, because it's not. We see women honored in the Order of the Batleth. So there were women who were in there who distinguished themselves. There's no reason that Dax could not have gone. Um, It just, it makes no sense, and actually, it would have made their mission work better, because not only does she have an understanding of Klingon culture, but she's also another person that Martok hasn't had direct experience with, and that the changeling Martok also hadn't had direct experience with. He had experience with O'Brien and Sisko, as we've already proven. He did not have that with Jadzia, and her being altered and in there would have added, um, just would have given them more options, I feel, as a way to deploy these devices, and really their only weak link would have been Odo and maybe that's like I guess from a out of universe standpoint as the writers putting this together maybe that's why they did it because they didn't want the whole focus to be on Odo being so mopey he's causing a problem having someone like O'Brien who is just you know totally checked out basically and is too human to make it it gives us that comedic relief as a way to balance it but no in universe Dax makes the most sense. She should have gone it's, on this mission. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one hundred percent true that she should have done it. I I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know why they keep seeming to put her character like they like in season five. Like, there's no excuse anymore to say we don't know what to do with her character. <laughs> You've had four seasons to try. I mean, nothing they haven't tried or given her good stuff as we've just talked about. But man i i just as soon as her character stood up to explain what those devices were and then cisco delivered the line i was just so surprised cuz cisco doesn't say anything in the way he delivers that line that couldn't have been delivered by the science officer dax and i thought that's also what we were going to get because you know when he sets the devices down on the conference table she's the first one to pick it up and she looks at it and i'm like okay dax are you going to explain what it is and then she just passes it to Bashir, who asked yeah. the question, what is it? And then, right. yeah, in comes, in comes Cisco, and then she she gets up and she gives the basic breakdown or whatever, but yeah, she could have led that whole bit, explain what the device was, how it works, why it's dangerous, why you can only do it one time. That all could have been her. You right. know, there and, was... then, and then as backup, you know, not only is she a good Klingon already, but then as backup, she could have been the one to, like, fix the, like, if this, the devices had not worked. Oh, well, don't worry, we have Dax there as backup to fix anything or rig a, a, a plan B. Um, right. Well, O'Brien when Martok plan says, B, but, yeah, yeah, but when Martok says that the devices had been destroyed, it would have been a great thing for Dax if she had been there to be like, okay, you know, it's it's that sucks, it's destroyed, but maybe we can rig up some kind of 
primitive version or a makeshift right. version or whatever. She just needs to have them stall for time, which is why Worf has to challenge Gowron, which still allows Odo to make the big reveal later on, but at least right. would have given us more Dax on the scene. And personally, I would right. love to see what Dax as a Klingon looked like. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> you know. I guess they figure, like, once again, I think we're kind of trapped in one of those. This was the 90s and, you know... Dax, you know, Terry Farrell is a very beautiful woman, and they don't want to put more makeup on her than necessary. That's why the trills were redesigned in the first place from the big ridges that we had seen them have yeah. in the next generation to the spots down the side. You know, yeah. um, I think that that was just that's probably why they did it. They're like, we don't want to cover up all that beautiful with yeah. with makeup. So right, yeah, well, Un- unfortunate, of- but yeah. <laughs> Speaking of beautiful female co-star, uh, Kira is still pregnant in this episode. I was surprised by that. I know it is supposed to be shortly after the last mm-hmm. episode, but it seems like, I mean, Dax and Cisco had been off the station for some amount of time, so I was surprised she was still pregnant. Well, they kind um, of made it seem like they've been off the station for a couple of weeks, so like maybe two, th- three weeks. Right, but I, considering that sh- uh, shooting from the last season to this season, I would imagine had some sort of time gap in there. I'm just wondering if if uh, Nana Visitor was still pregnant in real life. I imagine she was still pregnant in real life, so the character yeah. was still pregnant in the show. I was just surprised by the way they were describing it last, you know, when, in the last couple episodes when they were like, "Oh, you, you know, Bajorans give birth to their babies faster than humans do." So I was, I, I would have thought that like she was gonna give, you know, birth to the baby a little more quickly, but she doesn't. However, it so, does lead to some great comedic yes. scenes in this episode. We could, yeah, go ahead. We're going to get to that right away, but I just want to say really quick, it's entirely possible that they did not have very much downtime in between the fourth and the fifth season. I wouldn't um, be again, surprised if that turned out to be true. Yeah, 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 back then, again, the 90s, they were famous for, like, cranking through stuff. So it was just <laughs> like, you know, as soon as some things were finished, they might have had, like, two weeks off, and then they were right back at it. That's entirely possible. Um, also, she does say in the episode where they find you know where she's pregnant um where she they make her pregnant that the gestational period for Bajorans is five months to the human nine months so and of course the baby had already been developed a little bit in Keiko as well so there's going to be some fudging with time I'm sure on how they're going to get this to work but yes she is very pregnant and as you said it does lead to some great dialogue between two uh, great characters Gold Ducat and of course Dr. Bashir. We, uh, we gotta start with Gold Dukak. Of course we do. It's the first one. Yes. Oh, it's so hilarious. Does, uh, uh, what does he say? Is, is the, the minister should be pleased with, or, uh, does yes, he realize? He, he, he says, you lured me here using my daughter under false pretenses. I show up on, uh, to have Captain Sisko run this full errand, and you're pregnant. I hope yeah. First Minister Cigar realizes what a lucky man he is. That's right. He looks <laughs> up and down because he's a creep mm. when he does it. Yeah. Because he wants her. It's been yes. established. He has a yes. fixation with Kira At that this does. Point, there's no they doubt. just creepy. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. And she's like, Shakar's not the father. He's like, oh, who is? <laughs> Chief okay. O'Brien. And the look of just absolute shock. If he wasn't already gray, I'd say the color drained from his face. Uh, just the and look she, of shock. And she's and just she eating it up. No explanation. None. And they get on the all. turbo lift and go. And she's just eating it up. You see her just grinning while he's still just <laughs> jaw floor totally 
absolutely. So, um, yeah. great scene. I mean, we can we can talk about the weird creep factor or whatever of, of Goldicott, but Mark Alimo, the guy who plays Goldicott, does a great, great yeah. job. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just wanted to also point out about Goldicott. In this scene, when we see him walking, we see the infamous Cardassian uh, neck ridges. Um, found out this weekend that that was done entirely because of Marco Lima. When they first introduced the Cardassians way back when, uh, the original design didn't have all that. They had the facial part, but this was supposed to be just kind of a model gray, and then there was going to be nothing. But uh, apparently, the um, makeup costuming designer uh, noticed that Mark has an extraordinarily long neck. And so he decided he wanted to highlight that, and that's where those were born for Cardassian. So you can uh, thank him uh, yeah. for all the extra makeup and prosthesis that the actors <laughs> had to sit through because uh, his neck was so long. And I'm glad they do it because it definitely makes the Cardassian stand out. Yeah, it adds. It adds you a can, lot. You can ask facial ridges and nose things and eyes and ears and blah, 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 blah. Everyone can have something special. But the ridges on the necks and the shoulders takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that his uh, physiology gave the character gave the character and the race uh, more to work with. That's that's actually pretty cool. Um, but okay. yeah, and then the other scene is uh, it's just to give us a scene of Kira and and Bashir. And my understanding is the two of them in real life by this time are actually married. That's they actually, are married. Yes, they are married, and kid. that is their kid that she is pregnant with. Yes, right. And so it's funny to see them talking together because. They seem to have some chemistry this episode. Uh-huh. episode it was a, it was a, a great it was a great scene where she's like, and "Don't forget, this is your fault." And he's yes. like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and their like, little yeah, their life, little back and forth. Yeah, it was like, yeah. "Yeah, you did this to me." It's like, ah, wink and nod. I see you did yeah. this to her. But you I did. like that scene. I like that scene too because it reminds people who probably hadn't seen the, the show in a couple months, like how it was that she's pregnant. Oh, it's Keiko's baby. It was Keiko who was with them on the shuttle when something happened and they had to do the thing where she got the transferred baby. So it reminds us of the plot that revealed her pregnancy um, in a way that was also some good banter back and forth. Uh, it was funny for what it was worth. And yeah, again, it the chemistry there in that in that scene was like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> <Shikar>. they were <laughs> right. They were, you know, they were just yucking it up, and uh, Bashir is just all smiles. He's just grinning and just oh, really, en- close. yeah, really enjoying yeah, all of it. You know, I mean, it was just yeah, the chemistry between the two of them in that scene absolutely undeniable, and it's one of those, you know, especially considering when we think about how they started. In the first season, they were quite antagonistic with each other. You know, he was this very fresh-faced, boyish doctor who thought of her home as the wilderness, and she called him out on it, you know. So uh, she never really seemed to suffer him much, and now... You wouldn't be able to tell it, but to the two of them, they look they look quite friendly, quite friendly. It was it was an enjoyable scene to watch. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I think y'all filmed that more for their benefit than ours. Because well, they... it also was it's a nod toward the fact that yeah, actually, they're together. Uh, they're um, they're a what's, couple. What's the actor's name? Uh, Nana Siddick. Visitor and Alexander Siddick. That's Siddick. I was gonna say that he. Yes, he is the one responsible for that situation. Mm. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but yeah, uh, those are those are funny. And then finally, Quark uh, is the one that tells Cisco where to find Odo at the beginning. Uh, he he's the one thing he hasn't been able to ever fix. Odo's upstairs moping, but he's not actually upstairs moping. He's enjoying the bubbles. Oh Ooh. no, he's he's definitely quite morose in this episode he's he's questioning himself he's questioning what he's going to do next if he could even true. still do his job That's you know right. he even tells yeah, cisco right. he's like you need somebody who can turn into galron's pet targ i can't do that for you anymore he is definitely mourning the loss of who he was and right. what he was and what he could do right. and he right. hasn't figured out yet that he still has something to contribute, which is what we kind of get with him at the end of this episode. He's realizing that, you know, his his mind, his critical thinking skills and ability has not been diminished at all. You know, he still is able to put this together. He's the one who figures out that Martok is the the changeling, uh, not Galron. So, yeah, he... Yes. It's through that, and as we see towards the end of the episode, you know, he's, he's a little bit more comfortable with himself. So... Right. As much as this is a, a plot, you know, we're, we're jumping deeper and deeper into the, the plot here, Deep Space Nine. We're still seeing these character developing moments and seeing things shift and change for a lot of our main characters here. Um, right. Now, hopefully, as the as we move through, we can get some other characters to get some development. We, we got to, you know, see some more of Dax, obviously. Um Bashir's got to get something else. Worf has to get something else. I mean, we did a lot with him in season four, but yeah, we need, uh, we're going to have to come back, touch on that some more. So lots to uncover here. Um, but as we're wrapping up, as it uh, is clearly getting to the end of our time, any final thoughts on Apocalypse Rising? Um, I think the name is terrible. I'll say that. The name of the episode, that's dumb. <laughs> You know, I never really thought about it. I never really thought about what it meant. Yeah. I just, as I was, you know, introducing the episode tonight, I was thinking about it. I was like, I, I mean, whatever. I mean, who cares? It's just the name of an episode, but it doesn't seem well titled. Well, but, you know, normally, okay. you know, I, I've never, again, I've never really thought about it. I'm just like, oh, great, Star Trek's on, you know, and just kind of gloss over yeah. the rest. But you're right. Like, the episode, they don't make any references that would really explain the title. Right. Um, and normally, something about the episode would explain it. Yeah, Maybe I'll have to just... go back and like review like why they came with this title and what that was, because I, I certainly don't know why they chose that. Yeah, but, like Infiltration uh, would have been an inter- better name. Right. It would have been a great name, I, but who cares? I'm just, I'm just nitpicking it. No, really, I mean, it's a great episode. It's a, yeah. Probably one of the best ones actually in the entire show, now that I, if I'm going to rank it um, and just, you know, put it up there. Um, but yeah, great episode. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'll, I'll agree. I'm definitely going to agree. It's, I love the action-packed nature of it. I love that we're just jumping right in. Um, we're getting right back into the storyline. And as I said before, as pivotal as season four was, because it, it literally is a pivot in the direction of the show, now you know we're following through on that direction. Everything else that we're going to see from here on out is going to be building from these moments. All of these things are going to be important. The fact that they have reached a tentative peace agreement with the at least a ceasefire anyway with the Klingons is important for things that come next in this story Mm -hmm. so um, yeah we're getting those building blocks we're getting those pieces putting it together for what's going to be the ultimate um, climactic finish in season 7 so we're working on it 
We're getting there. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Now, uh, to turn our attention really quick to all things Trek, as I said before, um, there is no there's no new Trek. Everything is on hold until uh, the SAG strike ends. Now, we did get a little bit of an update on that. Apparently, they had had a tentative agreement, and I had spoken on that, um, I guess, a couple episodes ago, two or three episodes ago. Um, but as of the last update that I had received on this, which as of the airing of this episode would also be two weeks ago. Um, that That is now done. That deal is dead. Apparently the CEOs, Hollywood bigwigs, remember they were, um, walked away from the deal in the 11th hour. So it looks like they're all kind of back to the drawing board and we're looking at even more delays on any projects. Um, Star Trek Discovery had already been pushed into middle of 2024 was the projected release of the final season. It looks like that's going to be pushed even more because the whole reason it hadn't been released in the first place was there were some final scenes that needed to be shot, some touch-ups, some, some things like that that they can't do as long as the strike is in place. So just be prepared for that to take even longer for it to come out. I haven't heard anything else about this since you texted me about it i was trying to i mean i don't look out for news about this stuff all that much otherwise but i haven't like no one else has i haven't had anyone else come yeah. into my orbit say oh yeah it's not working out like so i haven't i've been trying to keep up with it but beyond that last update and i got that update from uh because i follow a lot of star trek actors of course and jonathan frakes is the one who posted that this had happened um, you know, but I haven't seen anything else. So as far as I know, there has not been a change. No one is back to the negotiating table. So again, as of the dropping of this episode, it will be at least two weeks before they, with no, no change. So hopefully there will be one soon. Don't know. We'll see. Um, there is uh, some hope, though, in the form of uh, Star Trek Prodigy, which was on the chop block for some inexplicable reason, has been saved by Netflix, of all places. So they're going to be airing new episodes of Star Trek Prodigy on Netflix. No idea when that's going to start. I think the SAG strike has something to do with that, too, because obviously we have voice actors who are a part of this. So, uh, But they have bought the rights, and there has been an agreement made to continue the show. So I don't know when it's going to be done, but that is out there. That's funny. I'm, I would, I'm surprised Paramount would give it up to Netflix of all places. But it's, okay. Yeah, it's weird that they would give it up to Netflix. It's just also weird they took it off the platform entirely. There's There hasn't really been any explanation as to why they did that. It was quite a popular show um, from what I understand, but who knows. Um, also, Alex Kurtzman apparently is in talks to do a uh, another Star Trek movie. This one to be focused on Starfleet Academy and a group of cadets moving through Starfleet Academy and training. It's supposed to be a movie that's all about what it's like to be a cadet, classes that they take, how you move from cadet to ensign status, graduation, so forth and so on. So kind of giving us the... The, the prequel to our officers that we love so much without having to be a prequel to our officers. So I, I, I appreciate that a little bit. I don't want to see a new movie with like young, nervous Jean-Luc Picard at the Academy. I don't care. I don't want to watch it. I don't need it. Don't make it. All right. I'm just going to put that out there. Picard's story has ended. Yeah. Picard's story has been done to death. All right. Like, I love that character. Love Patrick Stewart. Leave it alone. We don't need right. to see young, head full of hair, Jean Luc running around <laughs> campus being a, a cat or whatever. I, I don't. 
I don't want it. Don't do it. Um, we've already got various iterations of Spock, young, old, super old, super young, all over the place. No more Spock, all right? Love the character, too, but it's time to let some of these legendary characters go and right. establish new some ones. New ones. Yeah. So please don't Bring touch any Cisco. of those. <laughs> hey, yeah, okay, that's one. I'll let, you, I'll let you do that. Bring back Cisco. You can you can have that one, all right? Oh, speaking of Cisco, we didn't mention Jake Cisco. He briefly was in this as Yes, well. we have a brief um, cameo of Jake Cisco. I, I did still feel sorry for Jake. I feel like he's, like... Like Wesley Crusher by this point in the season of, of of TNG had left left the show. He was in a cat in the academy. He mm-hmm. had his own life. He was dealing like going through dealing with, and I I feel like poor Jake. I need we need to do the same thing with him. We need him to grow and and leave and live his own life. He's an adult now, and I I feel like he's got a failure to launch now. I'm like oh no, but. I'm well, sure we'll he's not. About him. He's not quite as old as uh, Wesley was when Wesley finally left. He's getting close, but he's okay. not quite there yet. And let's also not forget that he is. You know, he's he's not necessarily following in his father's footsteps. He wants to right. be a writer. We know that. Yes. So yes. maybe yes. he's sure. a little bit more attached to the civilian side of things. So maybe things right. are going to turn differently for him. And maybe we'll get to see some civilian, the civilian side of Federation life. I think that would be very interesting. So uh, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, that's going to be it. Anything else that you want to contribute before we The eclipse sign today up? was pretty cool. Yes, man. we had the eclipse today. Um, unfortunately, I thought it was a different day, so I didn't get the glasses and, and whatever. But um, we were still outside for it and had some very interesting commentary from a precocious eight-year-old. So, uh, <laughs> did y'all yeah. notice any shade like if you looked at like where um like leaves on the ground like shaped with leaves that has a crescent shape to it yeah she was yeah. talking about it that's uh, that's what she kept noticing over and over again she's like the leaves on the ground look like peacock feathers that's what she said <laughs> and i just was like staring i was like you know what i mean she's right and i i just didn't make the connection uh-huh. um, but she did you know and yeah. um we were talking about how it's oddly dim but yes. light at the same time. and It was crazy because, I mean, I'm looking up at this thing and like 90, 95, more like 90%, somewhere between 90 and 95% of the sun was blocked. But it didn't feel like the the, the light had turned down by that much. It was still no, a bright day. It was, it was still a, a very bright, very clear, very pleasant day. Oh, there was a pleasant. nice breeze. It wasn't overly hot, which, you know, we're here in Texas. So, you know, any day where it's not, you know, Above well, my dad, 80 is my dad amazing. pointed out that it actually felt maybe a little bit cooler than normal, in part because the sun was blocked during the you know the midday. It, for everyone who's listening here in Austin, we got to see the eclipse that happened today, and it um, it covered. I mean, it's it, around noon is when it was most covered. Um, so it was like for a whole hour beforehand, a whole hour afterward, it was going. The moon was crossing the sun. Um, but yeah, during the midpoint of the day, it did feel, it was glorious outside. It was, it was, it was so nice. It was probably one of the nicest days where I've been outside anyway in yeah. quite a while. So, uh, I really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, so then the next time that the eclipse comes around is in April, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be, so this one was not a full blocking of the sun, but apparently the one in April will be in a position to actually fully block the sun this time. And unfortunately for us here in Austin, in Texas, we got the one today coming from the northwest. Uh, it came southeast, but the next one's starting in on the south 
like in Texas and heading up to the northeast. Um, so okay. for whatever reason, the central Austin area is going to be the crossing point for both of those um, eclipses. Don't know why or how it happened that way, but uh, apparently science, 40, man. <laughs> apparently, it's gonna be another forty-five years before the eclipse we saw today happens again. I heard someone oh. say that. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, apparently, a lot of a lot of eclipses do happen, but it happens in the middle of the ocean. You know, no one's in the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic. No one cares. Uh, it's only when it's over land, and right now, it's all the entire thing happens over land. So. Oh, okay. yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. I got oh, to give four. out some glasses to people because work we had been giving them out as a part of a promotional event. So I gave about 10, 10 people some glasses to watch it. So it's pretty nice to help people out and get a chance to view it. So yeah. Well, we were just we were just out walking around. You know, I've been I've been very aware of the fact that we've been kind of cooped up a bit, you know, and so I'm just wanting us to get out more. You know, last weekend we took a little trip down to Fredericksburg with the family and then, you know, just nice. kind of keeping things going in that vein of just kind of being out and so forth. And so today we just went to uh, the park that's not too far from here, did some of the trails that were out there. But yeah, it was like just weird to be walking around and um the again dark but not and the yeah. number of people that were out also like surprised me which i don't i don't know um Beautiful just day. They, yeah, be out. yeah they're just everywhere and i'm, I'm yeah. so used to when we go to that park typically there's just not that many people but mm-hmm. today there were a lot i mean it was even it was there were so many people it was difficult finding parking like normally yeah. that like never happens normally you just drive up and it's just a massive empty lot out there, but even like the places where I guess you would consider overflow uh, parking were full. So we had a ways to go before we could get back to where the trails began. Wow. Right. So, but Hey, I don't, I I don't mind it. If people are out, you know, um, enjoying nature, like I'm trying to enjoy it rather than causing a problem somewhere. I'm, I'm all for it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to quickly mention, I started the silo book. I mentioned the show silo on Apple TV last uh, a couple months ago mm-hmm. great show the book is good but just like other things i've seen recently i actually like the show better than the book uh the book is actually interesting uh just minor 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 spoiler is that the halfway point of the book is actually where the first season of the show ends or at the very least that seems to be the case um there's a lot more content that the show chose to do with like the book is like 200 and some pages by the halfway point and the like the half of that half those that quarter of the book they made into seven episodes <laughs> whereas the first three episodes are like the first quarter of the book and the second quarter is they like expanded and add a lot more content for the show mm. i like that the show i thought was definitely better for the changes they made uh the the book is okay it's not bad uh, but the show definitely was was, was they, they made a lot of smart changes to make it a larger story. Um, like in the book, continue to read that. I'll tell you guys how it is. So, well, I have um, one started the fifth book in the Expanse series finally, and I mean it's a very easy. Uh, brief start i think i've read like the first 10 pages so at least i've started it so don't like be like oh great we're gonna whatever give me some time all right um but also another thing that i've started is the show moonlighting which is on hulu right now it's an old uh 80s show it ran from 85 to 89 i believe if i I remember that correctly from the little workup this is um this is the story of 
a very young Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard when they were starring on this show as a uh, private investigative team. Right. I've it's heard about that show. yeah, it's it's probably one of the most popular shows uh, that came out of that era, that late '80s, early '90s era. Which it's funny how it gets lopped into early '90s TV, even though it was solidly filmed in the latter half of the '80s. Again, it was from '85 <laughs> to '89. It did not spill over, but. Um, this is one of the shows that's always given as like a prime example of what jumping the shark means because there was a um, a big will they, won't they between the two of them. And then when it finally happens, it's considered the why the show died. Like once, once it happened, no one tuned in, no one watched anymore, and that's what kind of killed the show. Apparently, Sybil and Bruce Willis had such fantastic chemistry that – didn't matter what the show was about. That's why everybody was tuning in every week. So right. I'm looking forward to like kind of looking at the show and, you know, cause I have this, obviously I have a fascination with like early nineties ish stuff. So I've been watching it. I just started the pilot and I was already like, Oh, this is fantastic. They've got everything. <laughs> They've got people in overly done up suits. They have women with big hair. There's cell phone, not cell phones. There's pay phones everywhere and not just pay phones. <laughs> rotary payphones watching her have the <laughs> dial and the giant cord and stuff it's oh, been fantastic man. fantastic uh, i'm, I'm loving it not at all not yeah. at all and i'm just loving every bit of the nostalgia that's coming out of this yeah. you know <laughs> so um yeah if you're interested at all go check it out it's on hulu um go watch it uh, it's interesting. I was looking at the first season. Only has six episodes in the first season. The next season has eighteen. But yeah, um, go watch it, and we can talk about that on some of the other after darks that we do. In addition to everything else, and if you're interested at all, tell you how that's going. Right. But I think that is going to do it for us. We have run over our time by about 20 or so minutes, but that's okay. You love us, right? That's yeah. why you're here. You like hearing everything that we talk about. Um, if you are, again, interested in doing the official Star Trek cookbook, Blood Wine uh, Tasting, go ahead and pick that up and uh, give that a shot. Let us know what you think of that. Otherwise, you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify and find us across all the various social medias. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.